doing well. That you sounded very confident. We are doing well. Yeah, my confidence faded when I realized I had to lie to the viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Rogue's Nerdery. Rogue's Nerdery. Rogue's Nerdery. I'm Noah. I'm Jim. And I'm Jack. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Disco Elysium. Yes. A, 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 um, would you say this? RPG? It's an RPG. With uh, many associate accolades from 2019. I think it released in October. Pretty sure 2019. It's weird. It's not even, the final cut. Oh, go ahead. It is an RPG by like the strictest term possible because like it is a game where you are playing a role. But if you're trying to compare it to like modern day RPGs of like, you know, combat oriented, uh, yeah, like Starfield. Starfield. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Starfield and RPG. Well, yeah. I don't even know. It, it doesn't compare perfectly because it feels almost more akin to like uh, a really, really, really complicated like visual novel or point and click adventure or other games that are just like completely built around uh, interacting through the story rather than through like combat mechanics. Well, I think it's. Uh, got a lot of associations with like a pen and paper like mm. tabletop game in that sense of the word RPG and I'm pretty sure well I am sure that a lot of like the three main creators at least who like helped found like Zom Studios um, started out by playing tabletop RPGs mm. specifically apparently Dungeons and Dragons 2.5 interesting um, and eventually they got kind of burnt out on like the fantasy setting and um too many ended, welcomes <laughs> and ended up playing uh something very akin to i guess what we see in the disco universe and they also said that it um kind of morphed into more of a role play aspect and the storytelling aspect um than a lot of more technical interactions like with dice and numbers and stuff which you know still serve a purpose and like have a role there but um was not the main focus yeah. Oh yeah, uh, I really like the mechanical system of how the dice rolls works, specifically in how it interacts with a lot of skills, which I'm sure we're going to get into. But one thing to clarify beforehand, this is a two die six system, so the average of it is really strong. You're like going to get. Was Troika two die six? Pretty sure. <laughs> Anyways, I forget. Uh, something um, like that. Which means the average is going to be really strong. You're going to get. A whole lot of sevens and very few low rolls and very few high rolls. So it's going to be rare that you're like punching above your weight by getting like a critically good roll. And it's going to be rare that you're going to fail something that you probably shouldn't have. Uh, I kind of like that. And it also means that stat bonuses mean a lot. Uh, because if you're getting like sevens on like, was it like one quarter of the rolls or some ridiculously high number? Uh, you're basically just moving what that number is by adding a plus one to the stat. Yeah. Which is fun. It's nice. But, yeah. It means the having you a, choose really yeah. change the game. The what? The stats that you choose to have like really changes up like what you experience. Oh, absolutely. It's like they planned out like different experiences for almost every single stat in the game. And how many stats are there? 
It's like sixteen. Is it four to a roll? Uh, I mean, four to a stat, or is it five to stat? It's absolutely at least five, if not six. Oh. I think it's five. So that would <laughs> make a total of 15. twenty, because there's four main stats that, like, then five each are based off of. So it'd be twenty. Okay. Yep. And that stats. is a wild amount of work to have to put in. You also get completely different things out of conversations depending on your stats because, like, uh, if you got, like, a high perception, it'll give you, like, a different set of information to work with. There's a bunch of extra entries that you'll be reading for oh, basically skills. every conversation you go into. So if you've got at least, like, three stats that you're focusing on, uh, that's going to be a different run, basically, than any other run that you'd be doing. Yeah, or stats that just let you speak to the world. <laughs> you just yeah. literally talk to the world. Have a the, conversation with the city. There are six um, skills per stat. Six so, per stat? So yep. 24. Yep. Damn. It smells of apricots. Oh, yeah, we, we have the apricot red bull. Um, and it's, well, strawberry apricot red bull. As a homage to the game. <laughs> we're going to start doing drink checks. Oh, well, God. we're sponsored by Red Bull. <laughs> no, le legally we are not sponsored by Red Bull. Um, do, so I've I've got some I've got some fun facts, I guess. If you want to just start start with those, just jump on in with the fun facts first. One's not a fun fact; it's just facts, I guess. I can't, it could be fun, but at the Game Awards in 2019, it kind of pulled Baldur's Gate and swept. Um. It got best independent game, best narrative, best RPG, and best fresh indie game because I guess that's a separate category. Um, the original release featured voice acting uh, done by Dasha Nekrasova. Um, I know she is part of the Red Scare podcast, as well as that uh, person who, oh God. She was the one who was interviewed by one of the Alex Jones reporters, the InfoWars reporters, wearing, like, the sailor-like top, meaning, like, y'all have worms for brains. Um, I don't know much about her. There's a lot more stories there, but... With, with it, well, I know there's a lot <laughs> in general. And I will say, uh, for the final cut, her voice acting was taken out. She originally played Classier. Mmm. Classier? That... Classier? Makes um, sense. <laughs> they tell you they have like a little thing for how to pronounce the names. Oh, that's that's good. I've oh heard shit! It. If I had gone through that, a lot of them are. I don't know. Difficult, I guess, to just kind of try to figure out. So not only her, but and I don't know who. Uh, I don't know the names because I'm not that familiar with the podcast. Um, mm. but. I don't know the names of the people or who they played, but also four hosts of the Chapo Trap House podcast were featured in the original. Wait, really? Yes. Who do um, they voice? That, <laughs> I don't know the names of the hosts or the characters they did, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> but Shit. they were also included in that. They were also taken out for the final cut. I do think Dasha is uh, uh, salty about that, by the way. I don't know about the Chapo. Good. Um... Um, they redid a few. They did a lot of voices over again for the final cut, I believe. My favorite is I only played the final cut, and this is the last one of like my you know fun fact stuff. But 
Linval Brown, who was responsible for the narration throughout the game, right? Just Mm -hmm. the main, like, I guess the different characters, the skill characters that you interact with. Um, Also does voice acting for Ultra Kill. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how or what, but I did want to bring that up specifically for you two. He's also the singer of a band, too, right? Huh? He's also the singer of a band. He is. Let me Google it really quick so I get the band name. Um, I did not write that down. Hmm. So, He's having a bunch of... Um, of the ska and rap band Maroon Town. <laughs> ska, rap band? Ska and rap. Oh, we're listening to some of that after this. Delightful. I, I don't need think so. it <laughs> desperately. I mean, I love his voice. Yeah, did you hear him singing as the lizard brain at any time? I don't think so. Did he do, did the, he do the karaoke? Brain? Well, I'm assuming if he did all the skills. Well, uh, like just the narration. Mm. I don't know if that includes that or not. But maybe, probably. Anyway, having a bunch of leftist podcasters yeah, do voices uh for their characters is certainly a choice but i'd be very curious as to why they decided to re-record to re-record to find new voices i think they uh wanted to i think they're getting a lot of other things voice acted it was over a million words Mm -hmm. to do the vo for final cut um and i think they wanted more professional voice actors for that which I did look up uh, the Classia characters, like, comparison, mm-hmm. and it was fine. I do think they made the right decision. Mm. Yeah, there's some voice acting in the original version, but not a lot. And then they fully redid it all for the final cut. So you'd be going through and playing a mostly silently... Uh, written game, and then you'd be just kind of blindsided by Felix. Or any of the other Chapo boys. Um. A little bit. I really, I do wonder who they play. But. Interesting. You're a detective. Game starts, you're a detective. You wake up in a trash hotel room. Well, you don't know you're a detective. You're just some middle-aged guy. You wake up in a hotel room... You can't really tell what you look like. The mirror's fogged up. Um, you have to put on what clothes you can find and stumble out into the world to figure out what you're doing. I think you can figure out you're a detective pretty early on. You wake up looking like Dick Mullen. Well, you can't see yourself. What? What? Your picture is blurry until you look at yourself in the mirror. Which you need to turn the steam off in order to do. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing in order to get to. That's a good like interesting detail that I didn't notice at first. Mm. What that you can't look at yourself? That you don't see your own picture. Yeah, I kind of disliked it once I could. I was like, I'd rather keep it just like a blurry. Mess. Well, that's yeah, that's kind of like part <laughs> of the game too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure one time I looked at myself and I died of a heart attack because I was so ugly. Because I was, it was so ugly that everyone died. Um. Yeah, I, but I mean, you stumble out. You, uh, I think you run into a character that is important later on, um, mm-hmm. who informs you you're a detective. You go okay, and then you shamble downstairs and meet Kitsuragi, who fills you in on the general, I guess. 
premise of that you're a detective, he's a detective, separate districts, the place we're at is kind of on the edge of both, and no district really wants to take um, authority over that or engage with that in any way. So it's kind of like uh, uh, unsupervised, and they they also have their own militia to some degree. But there's been a murder, and each district has sent a detective to go and try and figure that out. That is where you start playing. The fun thing is that you can either acknowledge the fact that you have amnesia or pretend like it's not a thing <laughs> and try and lie as much as you can. And act like you know what's going on. I made an effort to always lie to Kim about that one. Like, he, he knows he's walking around telling people that you have amnesia. But every opportunity I'm, like, acting my best. That I just, like, misplaced some things that I totally knew about. Or I'm just, like, asking him questions to, like, humor me or whatever. That sort of thing. Oh, I told him immediately. Fun. Told him immediately. Yeah, everyone I ran into, too. Like, if I run into Joyce, I was like, hey, you know, uh, he, anything you want to tell me about, like, the world? Because, like, I'm not really up to up to snuff here. Oh, I did end up asking Joyce about the world. Yeah. That one seems important. I told everyone. And, and even Kim sort of had, like, this thing of being like, yeah, it's unconventional. And not unconventional in a he's unconventional way. It's like, uh, I'm worried for his health, and uh, I don't think he should be alive right now. But he does do a good job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, Kim is just such a good person. He is, like, genuinely worried for you. And he kind of turned him into a friend and your most trusted ally through it. At the very least, the way I played, and I think it, how any sane person would. Because the game gives you a lot of freedom. You can absolutely just kind of piss off whoever, however you feel like. But mm-hmm. you generally don't, because you don't see much progress that way. It's true. I liked Kim a lot. We had our disagreements throughout the thing, throughout the story, but I, we ended up being fairly good friends towards the end. Kim yeah. is like the anchor of professionalism as you are just goofing around and yeah doing whatever bullshit you decided to do interesting is kim like a dm no kim's uh, the straight man which is no. ironic <laughs> <clears throat> all right so what kind of cops did y'all play <clears throat> How do you play Harry? I was very confused at the beginning of literally everything, including, like, stats and what to reference and how the game worked. Thought Cabinet really kind of fucked me up, but I didn't really understand it towards the beginning. Um, And it only made sense to the, like, middle and end of the game for me. Um, But despite all that, which I think was just incentivizing even uh, an even heavier role play than normal, I was the sorry cop. By quite a wide margin. I was the rock star cop. <laughs> okay. I was like a 50-50 split between sorry cop and superstar cop. Which was surprising because I thought I was a superstar cop. So the game records like how you acted throughout it. How communist, how fascist, how like centrist, how much you were like a superstar or sad cop like we were talking about earlier. Um... I only had one point in fascist, 
I've got no idea where it came from, but I think it's balanced out by 37 in communism. It's kind of spread. Communist is up there, but... I think I have four. No, I have five mm. in fascist. I have seven in uh, moralist. And like four ultra-liberal or something like that. Ugh. Yeah, when I played, I didn't really know anything about that stuff, so... You are those two. I think the game is designed... Are those part of the vision quests, specifically? Or is that always in there? That was always in there. Okay. I think the game is designed both for someone that, like, you can... knows what they're looking at and wants to see more of it, or people that are being, like, I don't know, bombarded with, like... Uh, what was the game's, like, derogatory well, term for nerds? For nerds? Like, binoclord or something. Yeah, okay. In their yeah. rhetoric. It's just kind of, because you would just kind of do something, and then it would be like, oh, point into this, and you'd be like, oh, wait, is that what I wanted to do? I don't really know what that means, but I guess... It feels oh, like you're kind of fighting the system sometimes, or you would click on something not really understanding the outcome or what comes with it, which also changes depending on what skills you have invested in stuff. Because you can click an option, and then a bunch of other things chime in, just going like this, 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 you know, like adding to it. Um, we haven't talked fully about how the system works, I've now realized. Not yet. You're... Well, 24 stats each are sentient and each have a personality. Mm -hmm. uh, you might have like Savvy Fair, which is going to be like your coolness factor. And whenever you've got like a opportunity to be cool, it will pipe up and it will try to push you towards options for that. Is it cool? Sometimes they'll I present it was more options. Kind of like reaction speed, but more in a. No, like... reaction speed is its own stat. I thought it was more like reaction speed, but kind of like in like a timing sense. Like you were able to perform a certain way in a specific sense very well. Like you knew when to say what and exactly how to say it. You know what I mean? Or when to do what and exactly how to say it. Mm. You know what I mean? It was like a flare that you had. But it was also um, stuff that didn't involve timing, like, like jumping saying. off walls. Uh. Yeah, it's true. But it's not 100% physical or 100% like yeah. reaction speed. That's what makes it the coolness factor. Coolness okay, factor. Cool. Okay. There's, the memorable ones are like empathy, visual calculus, the half flight. And they all serve a different purpose. Um, there's also like, isn't there like an encyclopedia one? Encyclopedia yeah. is good because it just gives you facts like on the world oh, if you like encounter something that you're not super familiar with it'll just chime in and describe it to you i really like what's logic the one, and rhetoric what's the one where you can where you like talk to the city oh shivers yeah shivers shivers is interesting i don't think there's like quote-unquote memorable ones i think all of them have a whole bunch of dialogue written for them some of them just have like a higher bar before you start like seeing their dialogue because yeah. the way it works is while you're in a conversation the game is making passive roles in the background using yep. your stats and whenever a opportunity arises for one of your stats to say something 
uh, and you make the roll, it'll say something. It usually gives you some useful information. Sometimes it's not useful information. Sometimes it's detrimental. Like, uh, there's a stat for how tolerant you are towards drugs, and it's like your knowledge on them, how your body interacts with them, etc., whether or not you can recognize if somebody's on drugs. I forget what that one's called. Electrochemistry. Electrochemistry. So having a high stat of electrochemistry allows you to, like, interact with that part of the game, which is really useful because you're in Martinez. It's like, there's a bit of a problem about that around the city. And you're a cop there, so it's it's useful. But it also will try to, like navigate you towards engaging with them in ways that Kim really doesn't like. So by having a really high electrochemistry, you will be bombarded with just this absolute asshole, just like constantly going, there's some speed, grab it and take it, that sort of thing. You also, I think, depending, if you invest in that stat, um, at a certain point you have to, if you don't want to take psychic (laughs) or physical damage, you have to engage with it. Yeah. And, like, I put a lot of points into Encyclopedia, which meant I constantly had Encyclopedia giving me, like, tons of facts about everything. Just paragraphs and paragraphs of information. I feel like that one kind of wore me out, to be honest. Yeah, but the thing is... (laughs) I really liked Rhetoric, but Encyclopedia... Oh, Rhetoric was a lot of fun. Uh, The thing is, Encyclopedia leads you astray. A lot of times they'll give you information that is not useful to the situation and it will open up dialogue options you can choose and try to persuade you to choose them when all it will do is make you look like an asshole if you take them. <laughs> where, so, you're, where you're just like, like actually. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. it, it gives you a lot of um, actually opportunities. I guess and some of them are sense. bad and some of them are good. So all of the stats come with like some degree of risk and you have to personally moderate them. Well, I know in the Kurvitz EGX interview, he said that, well, first he said, hey, everyone, uh, if, if people want to take this, please take it. Developers, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Make your, uh, make personality traits characters. Like, please do this. You so know what I mean? Um, but he also said that in a way it was like the, it, for a game sense, he was trying to simulate, it almost um, is a way to simulate thinking. Where it's like, mm-hmm. the more experience you have with stuff, um, or skills, I guess, or points you have skills in, uh, or skills that you have points in, just react like those thoughts. So, the more familiar you are with them, you do just get bombarded with these things. Or they're constantly, like, brought up. And you kind of have less control over your thoughts. Well, not less control over your thoughts, but he wanted to simulate that structure. Where they're going to be there, and you're going to have to contend with them in some way. Mm-hmm. Especially depending on what you put skills into. They I think did that's a interesting. really good job. I think it's the most impressive thing in the game is just how well they did at writing the, like, 24 stats and how they interact with Yeah, you. that's what really makes the game is mm-hmm. that whole system. Having conversations with your own brain. <laughs> And then on top of that system, there's also the health and the morale, <clears throat> which is kind of interesting. Whereas, I guess it's kind of simple, actually, but, you know, you've got, like, your health bar, which you can increase a little bit over time. I don't, I think mine was only ever up to, like, 
two, or maybe that's not correct. I only did two. Okay, so it doesn't go very high, so there's not much room for like. I had four or five. Taking a lot of damage. Really? I at least had four. Must have had a lot of physical stats there, huh? I don't think so. Uh, the first physical stat, I forget what it's called, is what decides your health, and volition is what decides your morale. And it's the game's uh, way of, like, creating a degree of risk in conversation. Yeah. There are situations where, like, you don't want to choose certain options because you don't know if it might damage you in one way or another. Or you don't want to risk failing something because you don't want to damage you. Yeah, and you can lose wonderful. health um, depending on choices that you make. And then also your morale bar also, you know, you have very limited in like certain things like, um, I don't know, like if you get like disrespected or you do something that kind of like makes you embarrassed, you can, you can lose morale and you take psychic damage. Yeah. It's basically like a psychic damage, but you could actually just like die. Like what I said, like I had a heart attack when I saw myself in the mirror cause it caused my morale to go down to zero and my character died. And what's even cooler is it's like it's taxing you if you want to go into specifically really sad thoughts and delve into your memories or like oh, yeah. try to internalize something horrific in the world you'll take some morale damage but you'll get some really interesting dialogue out of it so i found myself trading morale health a lot because i wanted to like delve deeper into something that was telling me no stop thinking about this you're just gonna hurt yourself yeah diving into your past is definitely like one of the most interesting things also in the game no what you can do is go into dialogue with like a burlap sack full of magnesium and just be <laughs> like true. taking those through the out the entire conversation and just take every single hit of morale damage to be able to really get at the roots of it. I didn't realize that you could take it during conversations. So there were a couple oh. of times I absolutely had to just reload the game because Harry had like a mental breakdown or <laughs> or just died on the spot. And I was like, well, we'll try that again. Yeah, I died once moving the dead body. That's. I don't remember if that was morale or health, though. It could have been health. Because my character wasn't that very strong. I had five points in or five total stat in volition so i've got five morale and i had the conceptualization idea which i'll get to how idea cabinet works in a moment or thought cabinet uh but it's it said that whenever i succeed at conceptualization passive role i would regenerate one morale oh which yeah. meant that i was able to just like constantly have enough morale to get around because my conceptualization stat was so high that I succeeded every passive role I came across. So if I go into a conversation, it will just heal my morale back up to full. So so long as I don't lose five morale all at once, I'm usually <laughs> fine. I could just like go talk to somebody and be like, hey, what are you doing there? Here's what I think about it. And I'm just back up to full. That's, that's pretty helpful. Although yeah. there are probably conversations where you can lose five morale. Absolutely. I, I, I went through like five health trying to do the Rudy thing. The, the, uh, <laughs> when yeah. you get caught in the trap. Yeah. Because I kept trying to resist it. I was like, I was, I was being a cool cop. That was a difficult I was just time. losing health. But the thing was, I had uh, nine... I that pushes you to do something, right? And in that split-second reaction, oh, there no, no, is no. a fallout to that. 
No, no, no. Here's the thing. I was like, I've got other dialogue options, and I've got nine healing items in my pocket. <laughs> I'm just going to exhaust all of those options before I deal with this one. So I just stood there taking damage and kept, you know, kept the conversation going. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. That, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I played this game like a psychopath. You're just standing there, for the, uh, like eating just a bunch blood of pills. coming out of my mouth as I stuff pills in there. <laughs> one more thing. Oh. <laughs> one more thing. Oh. <laughs> you want to talk about the thought cabinet right now? Yeah, let's talk you about the thought well. cabinet. I think that also is really interesting. I didn't understand what was happening for the longest time with that. Um. Very interesting concept, though. To be able to... Well, I mean, explain it or does someone else want to take the reins of that um, I'll explain it in the way that I think it works, and then you can probably explain it better. Oh. But All right, go for so it. Basically, the actions and choices that you do will create an opportunity for you to, like, learn a skill based on it. And then, so you, like, you internalize it first... A certain amount of time until you gain enough experience to like learn the the thing that's getting at and then it gives you more positives if that makes sense or negatives there are well, i think absolutely... it's negative at first but it's positive once you learn it yes but there are some that once you finish internalizing them it's just a debuff really <laughs> yep oh they, i mean yeah i guess I it could go either way but... slight positive um, though, right <laughs> Even if it's just raising the cap on something? What? what no, are... no, there are some. Actually, there's one I'm upset about that I will bring up later, but... You can just get rid of them. Yeah, you can. You can. But I don't like doing it. You've because... wasted a bunch of time to get there. Sometimes it's yeah. like a nail. There's a lot of clothing that does that, right? Where it's minus, minus one this skill and then plus one this skill, right? Mm -hmm. Or some mixture of that yeah. sort of thing. That could be part of the role play of like, the character, though. It's like That may happen negatively, but you kind of just accept that that's who the character is yeah right but i don't know the one, the one no, that you're, you're like locked about. in you only have yeah. some i mean it's it's a whatever uh stat i'll look it up or not stat like thought um but yeah you get an idea you get to mull it over you get to <laughs> internalize it and that adds to your overall build very cool yeah here's what i'd like to say about it in disco elysium there's like three things harry will come across dan usually get ideas about right one is sometimes someone will like say a word or a concept and they'll go hmm i should think more about that later like a good example is like this guy was talking about the boyadega way of life where he's like this is my philosophy of how you should get a buy with like harsh individualism and then harry will go harsh individualism that's interesting Maybe I could think about that one, right? Uh, he won't, like, say that in the story, but that's basically what it's doing. Sometimes there'll be something about his past. He'll, like, say something in dialogue and then think, where did that come from? Is that something, like, that I've experienced before? Is that something that, like, I can't remember but I've done before? And then sometimes Harry will, like, experience something in the real world, uh, like see someone kill themselves or something like that like experience something horrific or interesting and it'll go how does that one make me feel maybe i should think about it later and that's what the thought cabinet is it is a way to like almost recycle 
your experiences in the game to get like a second wave of information out of it like all almost all the interesting conversations in the game will have some entry in the thought cabinet and it just gives you the opportunity to take that on and internalize whatever that experience was into being a piece of your character it also takes time Oh, yeah. You know, so you have to set it up where it's like, I am now thinking about this thing. And time only passes in the game if you're going through, like, the dialogue bar on the side. So if you're, like, reading a book and interacting with that, mm-hmm. or if you're actually talking to someone, time will only move given each um, I, I, uh, reaction, I guess. But that's really interesting. This is, like, this payoff. And when you originally set it up, like, you're taking, like, a stat debuff. I don't know. Did you go into any, like, sort of thoughts being, like, this is definitely one that I want to engage with as far as game content-wise? I want to hear more about this? Or did you go into it thinking, like, I think this will give me a bonus at the end of it? Ah, I was always going in thinking that there would be some big payoff at the end of each of them because I'm gullible. And a lot of the times, I was disappointed. I was really disappointed in Superstar Cop because it was like a penalty while you're researching it and once you come out of it it's like a minus one in a couple of different stats Mm. but it raises the cap on some stats and i was at the time like this is fucking useless why did i go through all that time with that penalty if i'm just gonna get rid of this later but raising the caps really that's the thing further down the line when i was like 40 (laughs) points later after i'd leveled up a bunch i was like god i'm glad i kept superstar cop because i am really happy that i'm able to like go one point higher on each of these because these are stats i like yeah i don't think i really got too many of them so when i did get one i just went for it some of them are really useful a lot of them will increase the xp you get throughout a run i think that's why i ended up with so many more levels than y'all like i had big communism builder which gives you xp whenever you use leftist dialogue options I had uh, the conceptualization one, which, again, gives you uh, morale back, but it also gives you XP whenever you, like, uh, whenever you get a passive conceptualization check. I had the encyclopedia one, which gives you money. It gives you $2 every time you do a passive encyclopedia check. What? It pays you to read. What are you doing? No. (laughs) I, I had so much money, though. No, I went and I bought all the clothes from the clothes salesman. <laughs> I was buying shit at the... Uh, no wonder no wonder you had all that I was buying money. books over at the bookstore. I was buying... Yeah. You had all that magnesium. I definitely was, <laughs> was going around with the bag collecting cans. Yeah. I would go to a conversation... Five encyclopedia checks. That's oh $10 in the pocket. Oh, that's... my God. Did you ever stay at the... I stayed every night. At the at the hostel? No. Uh, uh, yes. Oh the Royal God. Rags. You... That's living in luxury. <laughs> what the fuck? Get <laughs> uh, all that XP. Mm. I know there is one called Remote Viewers Division, right? And um, the research time takes six hours, and for the research time, it's negative one perception. And on completion, you only get minus one to drama and minus one difficulty to all psych, uh, yeah, psychic checks. That's not that bad. Wait, what? You just get a minus one drama 
And, um, oh, minus one difficulty to all psychic checks. Okay. You know, I... I don't know. That's still... I mean, that's useful because of what June was saying earlier about how the checks are, like, very averaged out, so... I bet I know what this one has going on. The next thing that Thought Cabinet tends to add is dialogue options. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. That one probably has some really good dialogue options linked to it. Yeah, I know in the Hinpeer interview, the Helen Hinpeer interview, they were asking about that, and I know, oh gosh, on the thought cabinet, she said it seemed nice to have an inventory for your thoughts, and that also that whole system was like a mess up until just a few weeks before the <laughs> game's release. Yeah. She said it wasn't something that they had forgotten about necessarily, but it was not that far along or really uh, 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 honed until real late in the game's development. Also, her favorite thought is one that makes you fail all red checks if it's in research. And it's meant for those serial min-maxers who just can't help but to do everything, try to do everything I perfectly. saw it, <laughs> and then I was like... <sighs> I didn't take it. You didn't take it? I didn't take it. It was also like, my thought cabinet was full. I really wish the thought cabinet did not have like a maximum number. Yeah. My I mean, thought cabinet was full and I think that was the main deciding factor in me not taking it. Because I was, I was so certain that it would be incredible if I got through that one. You can increase it though, right? Or no? Mm-mm. I thought I remember that. You, you, know, can, you can increase buy, like, the size but uh, up to a maximum. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I definitely did that. I did well. I think it's interesting though, like what stuff you have to figure out what to throw out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but all of them were like experiences that you've had in the game. Yeah. So it feels, I mean, it's hoarder mentality, but it feels really bad to like tarnish the thought of it or whatever. To be like, nah, this one's not important to me. Yeah, but to make room for new stuff, you have to forget Mm-mm. old Mm-mm. ways of thinking. Mm-mm. Not my hair. <laughs> not your, not your Harry. Well, you forgot most ways of thinking to begin with at the start of the game. <laughs> yeah, this is my new Harry. I built him up in like three days, and he did not learn anything new after that. <laughs> she also talks about clothes in the game, or like items that you can equip that mm-hmm. like change different stats. And um, I know she said she was trying to take classic RPG elements and twist them a bit. Um, and I just thought this was interesting. It's like clothes have almost imagined bonuses. A lot of it talks about how our strength is imagined. Mm. Um, and uh, she says, if I put on some really cool clothes, yeah, I'm going to feel better. And if I show up in a kimono to a karaoke bar and nothing else, I mean, I guess it's going to make me a bit more brave because I'm already, I've already showed up with uh, this much flair and drama. So yeah, it kind of really shows that all this is very, very imaginary. That's an interesting line because the kimono really helps with karaoke. Yeah. Because it gives plus two to drama. Yep. Now you put the kimono on, you put the bow tie on, you got like a plus four right there. That's true. Now, I, I didn't like one thing about the clothing. So all the clothes come with like a plus and a minus. So like every time that I know that there's a check that I really don't want to mess up, like a really bad red check, right? What I would find myself doing is just, like, exiting out of the conversation, changing my clothes, and going back and trying the red check with, like, you know, a plus four from the clothes. Yeah. And I don't know how it could be any different, but it doesn't feel the best. 
What do you mean? It feels kind of cheesy. If you like, I know that I'm doing it, but it's like, yeah, I think it just reinforces that mindset of being like, all right, now I'm ready to have this conversation. You know. Mm. <laughs> well, also <laughs> like I had like, I had the fit that I liked wearing generally, which I went for for looks. And every sure. once in a while, I didn't like having to switch off of that. I would do, I would, I would build the best build that I like, like what I wanted to put stuff into. I think my clothing build was very drama based that I would always return to in between mm. switching stuff out for stats. Drama's so good. And I think doing the act is a lot more, um, exaggerated physically, uh, for the game, but I think it's nice to imagine Harry being like, huh, you know what I mean, at something, taking out, like, a pair of sunglasses, putting them on, and then continuing by asking a very specific question. It it, it, it really, I don't know, I think it, it fits the character a lot, and I get that that's not exactly what's happening. Will you tell me, but, no, if I turn around, put a point into his stat, and then turn back around with my Dick Mullen hat on? Yeah. No, I didn't think so. Yeah, I don't know. So I think it's interesting the way it works. Yeah. You could absolutely just play the game very, you know, whatever happens, happens. That's kind of, I just, mine was more skill-based, I think, than style. I also didn't like that, uh, okay, first and foremost, whenever I want to, like, <laughs> min-max my stats with clothing so I could succeed a check, which, by the way, plus three can make a huge difference mm -hmm. because of the fact that it's a 2d6 system it can bring you up from like being like a two percent chance or something to like almost being 50 50 yeah it's ridiculous and plus three is a pretty standard amount to be getting if you swap like two clothing items uh one of the problems was there's no way to search by skill so it would just take like a minute of me just hovering over a piece of clothing as I try to remember which ones uh, will provide bonuses and hover over everything I'm wearing to figure out which ones are providing negatives so I can, like, get my stat up. But, uh... I would take a lot of chances. Usually, um, I had my default build. Um, and I would try a check if it was, like, 30% or above. I would do that because I didn't want to exit out and go through the hassle. <laughs> And also, again, because it feels kind of cheesy at times. The other thing is, I really like Harry's starter outfit. And uh, it's got a bunch of negatives and stats I like. <laughs> Unfortunately. <clears throat> Do you have a favorite piece of clothing? Not necessarily. I think the necktie is interesting. I don't know exactly how that works. Like, if there's a certain stat you have to have in order for it to talk to you more. Uh, Inland Empire. Ah. Is that what it is? Yeah. That would make sense. That one's the one that makes objects talk to you. Really? It allows you to personify objects. I'm pretty sure, right? Huh. I think I think so. That's interesting. Yeah, you... There's checks to, like, talk to the dead body, and it's in Wind Empire. Yeah. You get the necktie. It's when you wake up in the, at the beginning, it's on the ceiling fan. And so you grab it down, and if you put it on, and you have the right stats, it'll actually talk to you. And it kind of, like, convinces you to do, like, evil things. Evil things? Oh, I need yeah. to do I knew that was an ugly necktie. Yeah, it's pretty ugly. That's what Inland Empire means by... By hunches and gut feelings, dreams, and waking life. 
That's oh. why I like the bow tie more. Uh... <laughs> cool for dreamers and paranormal investigators. I am totally going to do a Twin Peaks run of of Disco Elysium. Yeah. I'm going to go the most supernatural psyche build I can. I was a really big fan of the armored boots because of the interactions required to have them. Uh, the boots are found on the cadaver that you're dealing with in the story. And the thing is, you can't steal the boots while Kim is around. Because Kim will notice. So what you have to do is, when you're doing the autopsy, you don't write down that the boots are on the body so that nobody questions it back at the station. And then you steal the boots while Kim is asleep. And then you bag the body and you send it off. And Kim doesn't know. But then you're just walking around wearing the boots next to Kim, and you get this dialogue option that's like, are we going to talk about these boots or not? And I never clicked it. <laughs> like, you can ask Kim that? Yeah, you could walk up to him and be like, hey, are we going to talk about these boots I'm wearing? <laughs> I feel like that's something he should uh Exactly. If he's you. not going to approach me with well, it, he's not going to approach me Unless with a rock star cop just like, mentions that, you he's know... Seen the, He'll just kind of look away while you're doing dumb stuff a lot. <laughs> you never mentioned that to me. Oh, I've ha had him say it before. I mean, you can see it in interactions where you start yeah. some shit and Kim's just like very intensely like inspecting his pencil or like something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He doesn't want any part of it. Mm -hmm. Or if you Cleaning take glasses. Yeah. When you try to get the dead body down and you try to shoot it, I think there's some situation where Kim... Just kind of like pretends like he's not looking. Oh, I had Kim trash shoot it. Kim, Kim, all I think Kim fails. He like, does every yeah. time. And Kim does make the shot of a lifetime at the like end of the story, so it's like full arc. say about Revishol. Revishol is the site of a uh, communist revolution that was then thwarted by foreign capitalist powers. Uh, they rose up, bested their oppressors, ended up trying to instate a communist regime, and then the, like, what, what, what is the Charlie. government like coalit what what's the coalition called the coalition the coalition yeah. it's just called the coalition the coalition of a bunch of governments that are all like basically uh analogous analogous however you say that one to the un end up showing up and just kind of steamrolling over the remaining forces of the revolutionaries because they were all basically beaten to a pulp during the revolution so there was very little resistance they could put up against another war on the horizon. And then the coalition started instating, like, uh, not exactly direct control, but financial control over almost all of Revishol. It became kind of a satellite state. Uh, Martinez is somewhere where it's, like, as far as possible from the interests of the coalition... The Coalition have, like, a predominant philosophy of moralism. 
so that's Revishol, and that is the site of the Revishol Citizens Militia, which is the only force that is actually, like, owned by the city itself and not by the coalition. Um, so you've got some degree of power to try and police the area. You're moving into Martinez, where none of the RCM actually has any power, because it is mostly governed by the local union, which gets to remain in power so long as they play nice with foreign interests, which is, is it called Wild Pines? Company that owns the port that they're at. Uh, the thing is, they aren't playing nice. They're trying to go on strike because they want to wrestle the port mm. away. And Martinez is weird because it's not connected to, like, any part of the city that the Coalition usually would care about governing. It's sort of an area that the Coalition never sent funds to help in the rebuilding of. They never tried to, like fix the impoverished areas or the uh, ruins of it. It's still just this bombed out mess. People are living in like the remains of apartment buildings that have like big holes torn through the walls that are now covered in tarps. It is a war site that people still have to live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's like a big crack going mm -hmm. through the middle area. There's a lot of Different. stuff happened. I think after the revolution got squashed, right by the mm -hmm. coalition there's also a nuclear meltdown what like a few years past that yeah if you talk to the pawn shop owner he talks about it yeah. he's basically on a psychedelic drug all the time because mm -hmm. you as as harry dubois walk in be like you're on something like i'll have what you're having you know what i mean and he's <laughs> i like, didn't have enough electric chemistry <laughs> oh really hey, well i saw that check i never got it he's just like i have to be on this because i suffered like a lot of Radiation. Radiation. Um, when oh I was boy. helping, when I was helping clean up, you know, back when that happened, so it was left in such bad state, right? And there was no, I guess, oversight or funds or yeah, like, really just any interventions. It. They had to like clean up after that whole meltdown. It really feels like the coalition took away the local government and then left nothing in its place. Well, there are parts of of. Um, Revishal that definitely means something or or the like the coalition like have investments in um or influence over and this is just neither of it they won't mm -hmm. invest in it and they don't have much influence over it it is very on the outskirts yeah but no one could rise to power because it still technically kind of belongs to the coalition mm -hmm. hence the hardy boys yeah so in a state where its owners refuse to govern and won't allow anyone else to govern, what you have is local militias that take up arms and try to keep some degree of order. And that is who those hardy boys are. Well, I think that's specifically in Martinez, though. I don't think other areas have them. Other we than don't know anything about the other areas. We know that Jamrock is a lot more controlled by the RCM, though. Yeah, but that's the <clears throat> RCM. A lot of other places are, I think, have that, but the RCM, the Revolutionary Citizens Militia, is like a remnant um, from before the coalition squashed the revolution mm -hmm. forces, and the militia kind of just got uh, um, turned into their uh, uh, policing, right? Yeah. That's why they're named after the, the ICM. The uh, one of the other forces that existed during the revolution. Oh, They're yeah. the ones with the little upside-down stars that they put on everything. That's right. But I think, I think specifically Martinez 
is is unique. I think it's just on the outskirts so much that they kind of just police themselves. You're sent from other districts. There are a lot of other districts, but I don't think I think to some degree Martinez is an outlier. So yeah, when you arrive in Martinez, there is a strike going on because they absolutely want the um, port for themselves, right? The shipping port. And Every worker, a member of the board, Harry. That is one of their demands. Well, it's a fake demand. The idea is make an outrageous enough demand that, like, Wild Pines does something drastic to try and break the strike, and then use that as justification to separate from Wild Pines. Mm, and they mm, need mm. justification that, so that they can have an easier time forming connections with the companies that won't want to work with the uh, port that broke away from its owner company. I see. I guess that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But that's going on. So you show up. There are a bunch of people outside protesting. Um, the doc, a bunch of scabs. Who work to there. work. And then... Um, Those fucking scabs. You definitely meet Joyce, who is filling in for somebody who showed up and tried to negotiate with the union. The union wasn't having anything of it. And through some shady uh, circumstances, ended up just ditching the job. And so they sent Joyce. Which I don't think she's been able to talk to Everett at all. Everett got rid of the previous negotiator who knew <coughs> how to actually navigate the port and get in. Yep. And then he sealed away all the easy ways in and then was like, well, if you want to send a negotiator, I'll talk with them. Well, fully knowing that nobody but the old negotiator would actually be able to find him. Before the old negotiator went away, things were already pretty bad on strike. Um, so it seemed they sent in um, basically like co contracted like military. What, what is that? Called? Oh yeah, like mil uh, they had a bunch of mercenaries in there. Mercenaries. Um, so Wild Pines. Um, hired mercenaries and <coughs> sent them. Are they called in, like Crinnell or something. Yeah, Crinnell, and uh, had them on on duty around the dock. And the reason you're in Martinez, or yeah, Martinez, not yeah. yeah. The reason you're in Martinez specifically is that one of them has been murdered and is hanging in a tree behind the hostel that you're staying in. Mm -hmm. But you've also been there for like three days and apparently have not looked at yet. You might have looked at the body. Sometime in those three days, you drank so much that you crashed your car into the ice, then wandered into the hostel and passed out after selling your gun to the uh, pawn shop, saying yeah. that you would probably kill yourself if you didn't take it off your hands. So, yeah. That's that's the story. Is that? Well, it's the start of it. start of it. Um, do we want to just go over the story beats, or do you want to learn about some more behind-the-scenes stuff? Let's do more behind-the-scenes stuff. Wow. Right. Yeah, That's what? the stuff I'm interested in. So, uh, the lead writer, um, and is generally credited with the world of Elysium in general, is Robert Kurbitz. There are three main people, um, who, I guess, spearheaded the Disco Elysium thing, um... They were in an artist collective. They were in a collective before that. Then an artist collective post that was specifically more uh, around this project. Um, and that was Robert Kurvitz, um, Alexander Rostov, which is the artist. If you see like any of the portraits in the game, all of that is like, I feel like his or heavily inspired by his style. 
and um, Helen Hindapier. And uh, I believe she is credited as a writer in the game and also lead writer on the final cut. But uh, Robert Kurvitz is an Estonian novelist, uh, game designer, and musician. I know in 2001 he became the lyricist and lead singer of a progressive rock band called Ultra Melon Hool. I don't know uh, if there's a translation for that, or if that means something other than what it is, but uh, what I did think was interesting that um, apparently it is seen by a lot to be like a continuation of like the alt-rock tradition of this band called Veniskand, um, and one called Metro Liminal. And I do know that Metallica covered their uh, the Veniskand song, um, gosh... I, I, Insinir, Insinir, Greeny. So if you uh, want to, uh, if you want to, they're, uh, apparently Veniscon is a Estonian punk band. They're founded in 1984. But yeah, Metallica's done a cover of one of their songs. He actually didn't see much success with his band. Um, and I think had to self-release the second, uh, uh, album anyway. So he is known for music, but only, I guess, in that sense. His first venture into the Disco Elysium universe was in 2013 when Kurvitz published the book Sacred and Terrible Air. So that's like in the same like universe, basically? Yes. <clears throat> um, I think, I don't know if he went to school to be a novelist or not, but I do know he is like a writer. Um, and that was his main thing. And he worked over for over five years on this book. And the plot centers on three men who 20 years after the unexplained disappearance of their classmates are still determined to locate them. While the book guaranteed positive or garnered positive critical review, it only sold about a thousand to fifteen hundred copies in Estonia, and apparently that uh, uh, caused Kurvitz to succumb to deep alcoholism. <laughs> okay, which I'm yeah, sure inspired right. <laughs> some of uh, Harry's character in the game. Yeah, um, an English transition was planned uh, in 2020. I think post release of Disco Elysium. Um, but it eventually mm. fell through. And right now, this brings me to one of my first uh, uh, surprises. Right now, there are surprises. Two, two fan translations that have been done. And I located the more popular one, I think. And I have a copy of that of, of his first book, Fan Translated. What language is it? Um, English. It's fan translation. Well, I mean like the original. Oh, Estonian. There's only about 1.3 million people in Estonia. Okay. So, uh, apparently fans have been wanting this uh, uh, translation, and they worked on it themselves. So, I do have a copy of Sacred and Terrible Air. We have it here with us tonight! In PDF form. Oh. <laughs> in PDF form. So, some person did say, like, in the comments, I found it on a Reddit post, um, that they sent it to a place that will, like, print it and bind it. Was Estonia part of the Soviet Union? I believe so. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. uh, the capital Talon, I think, is, um, or I guess Estonian general, is a big inspiration for the Elysium setting. There are more than 1,500 islands. That's probably why Elysium Ooh, the is a world of only islands. Isolas, yeah. So... Yeah, it's fair. We're on a world of only islands. I have it in uh, my Discord, and I will send it to you accordingly. I have one other thing that I think y'all might enjoy, uh, as far as that goes. 
Let me uh, let me look this up because um, there was uh, uh, this uh, campaign. Well, not a campaign, but a bunch of people in uh, I think it was just the Disco Elysium uh, subreddit, right? Came together, pooled their money, and voted on a bunch of different voice lines they wanted to hear Kim Kitsuragi say. Oh my God. So <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I found um, the shit Kim Kitsuragi shitpost voice lines. Um, this is like Gabriel Ultrakill. How did we get here? We walked. Believe it or not, you are not entirely lucid. So that's in tenth place. We have. I want to have fuck with you. <laughs> from the opening. Um, Normal people when they go down slide, they're fine. Uh, no, detective. I do not just want to go ape shit. <laughs> Apartment complex. I find it quite simple. <laughs> Officer, what the fuck was that? We got trans rights. Trans rights are human rights, detective. Obviously. Surprised that didn't make first. Third place. Do I like men? Man is a hopeless creature. I don't like much of anyone. Ah, uh, if you meant sexually, then... Yes. <laughs> we have... Detective, instead of worrying about appearing submissive and breathable, please make sure your paperwork is submitted and readable. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, finally, in first place. I'm the king of the highway. I, I liked some of the other ones a little bit more. So, uh, I just thought that was neat, and I wanted to share that with y'all. This this is the episode outro? Wait, 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 wait. We're, we're ending it right here? Yeah. You know, there's got to be a part two. The union requires of us that the episode doesn't <laughs> get too long. We won't have any listeners left. Mm. Every episode, I'll vote in the company. All right, so we got to pause right now, because Mr. Everts... Is helping us find our, our episode two. <laughs> we, we we need to split it into two pieces because it's it's simply too much content. Just cannot contain all mm-hmm. that content. And it's too good. Too know? good. Yeah. Can't waste any of it. Could you know harm you if you listen to it in one sitting. Yeah. The union bought that content. We can't just throw it out. Mm-hmm. Now there's nothing stopping you from listening to both parts in one sitting. <laughs> Oh, yeah, our Instagram. All right, we've got other things to say. Uh, so, yeah, we've got the Instagram. We've got... Uh, what, what else do we have? It's Rogue's Nerdery, right? Yeah, Rogue's Nerdery. This Rogue? one's Rogue's Nerdery? Okay, it's Rogue's Nerdery. Email? You could email us at roguesnerdery at gmail.com if you want to. Literally, whatever you want to email us. Jack well, has to read it. Hold on, I should pull that back a little bit not whatever you want no actually whatever anything 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 okay june's saying we'll take anything yeah yeah maybe uh support us on patreon maybe i don't know that'll be on a five dollar patreon a five dollar patreon five dollar patreon that's cheaper than a subway sandwich cheaper than a subway sandwich it's a steal that's cheaper than one monthly subway sandwich no, get the Rogue's Nerdery Patreon deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More filling. 
I just got a Domino's pizza, six ninety nine, large. You know that also makes our Patreon look really good. Well, I'm not sure about that because now we're competing our Patreon with like a Domino's pizza. What was a coupon? So they're not even normally. Oh, no, wait normally a second, wait a second. That, that, I think yeah. we're bringing it back. Fill your mouth with pizza. Fill your ears with Rogue's Nerdery. I like that. I like that. All right, thanks for listening. I'm Noah. I'm June. I'm Jack. Check this, out part two after this. And this has been Rogue's Nerdery. This and, has been part one.